Welcome to Gibraltar Stories. I'm Lindsay Weston and this is the third part of the Frontier Closure 50 Years On, a podcast mini-series about the closure of the border between Gibraltar and Spain. They would shout across and there would be this conversation in the air going on and that was quite painful for them. Deaths were announced by shouting across. Remember there was no telephones, no telegrams, there was no communications. So if somebody died in this side of the frontier or that side of the frontier, they would have to shout it across. Fifty years ago this month, Spain's General Franco closed the frontier, the land border between Gibraltar and Spain. Families were split. Some faced the difficult choice of having to decide which side of the border to live on. Supply lines were cut, stopping anything crossing from Spain, including food and medical oxygen. Spanish workers were forced to leave their jobs in Gibraltar. Some even lost their businesses, leading many of them to move away from the area in search of employment elsewhere and leaving a huge hole in the Gibraltar labour force. Ferry services between the Rock and the Spanish port of Algeciras across the Bay of Gibraltar ceased to operate and telephone lines were cut off. The only way in and out of Gibraltar was by air or by sea. The main route was the Tangier-Gibraltar ferry. Well, I found myself on the beautiful daylight today As word spread that the frontier was about to be closed, people with relatives living on both sides of the border had to make the agonising decision over which side to live on for the foreseeable future, knowing it would be difficult to make the trip to see loved ones. Some people crossed over from Gibraltar to say goodbye to parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles for what could be the last time. Others were forced to pack up what little they could carry and head to Gibraltar to set up home. Local historian Tito Vallejo-Smith. They were given the ultimatum, either you become Spanish and stay in Spain or you have to go. And many of them either sold their houses, let them to families, to relatives. The majority came to Gibraltar, they didn't have where to put them and because we had many uh, empty barracks, you know, the, the, the government put them in, in these, in, how should I say, emergency holding centres, you know, until eventually they were housed properly. But they, they, many of them had to leave many things behind. Most of the Gibraltarians in, in Spain came back to Gibraltar, uh, and many were taken over by families. Those who were numerous were just put in crowded. I remember I had many friends who were with me in school, and I used to visit them and they were living, you know, one on top of another in, in bunk beds and five and six in a room and things like that. And they, they, they were like that for, for many years till eventually uh, they built new housing estates and little by little they were rehoused. But yes, they, they had a hard time as well. And, and, and there are films and photographs of these people coming over and you can see them all crying and things like that. But, you know, that's what it's like. Uh, but there you have it. Yeah, we had this massive... Uh, exodus from, from La Linea and the Campo area of people who had houses there, very beautiful houses, which they had to abandon or, or, or lease or give to somebody else. While some families were able to stay with relatives, the living conditions for others who came back to stay here were very difficult, with many sharing dormitories and small rooms and limited washing and catering facilities. They had nothing and uh, they had to be fed uh, you know, in, in, in soup kitchens. They, they, they actually put 
uh, makeshift uh, dining halls for these people to eat. And I remember that the Boy Scouts used to help them a lot. They used to sleep in, in communal dormitories, you know, the, the women and children in one and the men in another one. Just like the army, you know, they, they, they were they, they, from civilian life, they were they became soldiers overnight in the way of life, you know, the, the soldiers' way of life with a common kitchen, common um, uh, bathrooms, you know, showers and kitchens, and, and, and that's how they went and, and, and dining hall till eventually they were being able to, to be dispersed to, to proper accommodation. Yeah, no, they had a hard time, poor fellows. For many families during the closed frontier years, a trip to the border fence to shout across to their relatives on the other side was the main way to stay in contact. As a security police officer on the border, Lewis Woods saw this was a regular occurrence and there were peak times when it got very busy. Weekends mainly. They used to go during the week as well, but there are not that many. There used to be Saturdays, Sundays. Sometimes that place used to get packed up on the car park behind the, the actual guard room. And they used to shout across, uh, but still we could not stop them or anything because it was only family contact and so they were worried because uh, they were worried because of the way they were maybe living across and that was it. Uh, they, they couldn't do more than that, no? Uh, I had no contacts whatsoever over there across. But others, uh, you could see them uh, were very worried. Ambrose Aviano had family in Spain at the time, but his relatives didn't go to the frontier to see each other. He said it was a painful experience for family members. I remember that when the frontier closed, I saw pictures of uh, the families going to the gates and shouting across. So aunties and mothers and with children and, and to the grandfathers, grandmothers, they would shout across and there would be this conversation in the air going on. And that was quite painful for them. Um, deaths were announced by shouting across. Remember, there was no telephones, no telegrams, there was no communications. So if somebody died in this side of the frontier, or that side of the frontier, they would have to shout it across. Look, uh, John has died and, and this, is, this is how it was. Eileen Gordon feels she was one of the lucky ones because they didn't have any family in Spain. Going to the frontier for some, though, was the only way to share their special occasions with family across the border. It was very sad because we were lucky we had no family on the other side. But people who had family on the other side, it was heartbreaking. You went down to the frontier and you saw these people shouting at each other from one side to the other. They'd bring their babies and hold them up and little girls in the communion dresses. It was really heartbreaking. And also you found from Spanish women who were married here that sometimes they'd get, uh, because there was no telephone, they might get a letter that their mum was very sick or anybody of the family was very sick. By the time they got the letter and they made their way there, they could be dead. That happened. It was incredible that that should happen in this day and age, you know. The situation faced by families with relatives on both sides of the border was the human side of the frontier closure. For Deputy Chief Minister of Gibraltar, Dr Joseph Garcia, he can recall it well from his childhood. I remember vividly during the closed border days, I was born in 1967 before the referendum happened. I remember vividly going to the border with my parents and you could only, on weekends, you could travel round and round Gibraltar by car, but you couldn't really do much else. And I remember going to the border area and seeing 
families shouting across to the families in Spain and them shouting back, or you know, Uncle So and So has passed away, or, or Auntie So and So has had a new baby, and here's the baby and holding up the baby physically for the relatives across the border to see with binoculars. So it was a very difficult time at a human level as well. In the absence of telephone communication. Gibraltar's national public service broadcaster Radio Gibraltar played an important role in passing news on to family members separated by the border fence. A weekly dedication show would play records and between them dedications and announcements to relatives in Spain. Journalist Clive Galt explains. They couldn't even use the phone. Spain actually, apart from closing the physical border, closed all links by sea, by air and the the telephone links were also closed so or cut off and that meant that the, you couldn't ring Gibraltar so um, young girls married here to Gibraltarians their father was ill or their mum or dying and they couldn't get across to see them um, and there we found that Radio Gibraltar played a fantastic role a very humanitarian role by having a request record programs because we had at the time Spanish uh, programs, we still have them, um, and during those rec- Spanish uh, broadcast hours uh, we used to do uh, recordings and uh, requests and talk to the Spaniards and say, ah, this is a record from your granddad or your daughter, uh, she's very well, um, cousin has come out of hospital now, he's all right. Uh, she's having the baby in three months' time. So all these messages got through that way. And the other was the very sad trip to the border to and scream across and hold the baby so that it was seen on the other side. I mean, really horrendous. Palabras al viento. Una sección del domingo de Manuel José Mascareñas. El libro rojo lo confeccionado don Fernando María Castilla. El libro del cordobés lo escribió Tico Medina. Manolo Mascareñas presented Palabras al Viento, a weekly programme which countered the fascist propaganda coming from Spain. For Ambrose Aviano, listening to the programme was a tradition in his household. The main thought in my head was also always Manolo Mascareñas. Manolo Mascareñas was a news reporter for GBC and he had a programme on Sundays called Palabras al Vientos, or Words in the Air. And when Spain would bombard us through the media and really set us up all the time and and insult us, then he would respond on Sundays. And I remember that my family certainly, and I think every family in Gibraltar, at two o'clock on Sunday, everything stopped. The radio was turned on and he would say his bit. And that was a relief for us because we had somebody defending us and speaking for us. And that was very, very clear in in my memory. Le creo incapaz de ser leal, no ya a Gibraltar y a España, sino ni a usted mismo. Transmite Radio Gibraltar. Escucharon ustedes Palabras al Viento, una sección del domingo de Manuel José Mascareñas. The border and all lines of communication between Gibraltar and Spain may have been closed, but one Spanish border policeman could see the human side of a tragic situation. When Juan Carlos Teuma's father died suddenly, a Spanish policeman went above and beyond his duty to make sure the message got through. When my father died, I was living in Marbella because there was no connections at all with Gibraltar. 
no telephone connection, so nobody could call me to give me the bad news. Uh, one of my brothers managed to pass a note over to a guardia in La Linea with the telephone number of my uncle who lived in Campamento, asking him to please call him and, you know, give him the news so he could convey them to me. Uh, he said he couldn't do it now, but he would when he was off duty, which he did. And my uncle, because I didn't have a telephone, had to go to Marbella to give me the news. You know, so imagine, and it's uh, always bad news, but when they knock on your door at uh, one o'clock at night and find your uncle and he gives you such bad news, you know, you, you're absolutely shocked. Because uh, we wanted to get here for the funeral, and if we organized the Tangier, the Algeciras, Tangier way and all that, we wouldn't have arrived in time. So my brother, who was living in Alicante, I've got a brother there, uh, came down from Alicante, and then we went to see some Swedish guys who had a very modest uh, boating uh, uh, setup. I happened to know them, because I'd done some photo jobs for them, I called them Lars, Lars was his name, and uh, I told him, you know, this we, we have to do this, you have to take us to Gibraltar, which he did, you know, it was pretty rough. Remember arriving in Gibraltar and going straight to the hospital and getting here just in time for the funeral, so that was quite a hardship. You know. Families who could afford to would make the trip to visit their Spanish relatives on the Mons Calpe ferry to Tangier and then take another ferry to Algeciras before travelling onwards from there. For Ambrose Aviano, though, a family friend with a boat helped them get over to see his granny and cousins. My dad was lucky enough to have a friend who had a yacht. And he would take us across to Algeciras and then we would uh, get the, the taxi or a, or a bus to La Línea and see my grandmother and uh, my cousins. Uh, so we were lucky in those respects. Others would get the ferry to Tangiers and from Tangiers they would go the, ter- the next uh, ferry to, to Algeciras. So they found ways of, of, of meeting and seeing people. It was on a road trip down to Gibraltar from London to visit family here that Philip Valverde's brother decided to write this song. The idea of, of, of uh, uh, going south, my brother Frank actually uh, started writing that song. It's, it's all about uh, hitching all the way down, getting the, the coaches, getting the train, and ended up in, in, um, in the Tanger Gibraltar Ferry. Oh, yeah, and the song is, it's, it talks about uh, all the people you meet coming down, like in Bar- midnight in Barcelona, friendly people all around, maybe you want to stay a day too. But I knew I had to board the 10 to 2 from Corello, Barcelona, Malaga destination. Isn't it nice to be going south? 
but the song starts, Well, I found myself on a beautiful day like today on the Tanger Gibraltar Ferry, leaving me here with so many things to say. Suddenly the waves hit the shoreline. Small beach parties are ever so burnt. Had remembered names and faces that I see. From friendships all around me clouds my mind. Gibraltar, my Gibraltar. Keep your face clean from the north side of the border. My Gibraltar, my Gibraltar. Keep your nose clean from the north side. For Tina Orciel, every summer she would make the trip south to Gibraltar to visit her family here. She spent her childhood away from the rock, but would travel down by car, which would take several days. And then once they arrived in La Linea, almost within touching distance of their destination, there was still another day's travel by two ferries to finally get to Gibraltar. All my mum's side of the family all lived here. So it was a case of mum wanted to come back to see her parents, her brothers and sisters. She's one of eight children, so everyone lived here. She was the only one away from the rock, so it was a big family reunion when we got back. So we did the trip driving down um, quite a few summers, really, and it was, it, was, um, it was good. There was no motorways, so it did take about five days for us. And driving, we lived in um, RAF Wildenrass in Germany because my father was in the forces. And we used to drive down from Germany. We used to stop the first night in Stuttgart where a lot of Spanish people from La Linea, including my mum's cousin, they all went to live in Stuttgart in Germany. So there was a big Spanish community there. So we used to go there and we used to spend the night there and then next day drive down to France we used to then drive because, as I said, there was no motorways. We used to drive sort of to Benidorm, and then, then we used to get to La Linea, and we could see the rock, and we used to be so excited, but knowing still another day's trip, because we'd have to go to Algeciras, we used to stay in a pension overnight, then we'd get the Monscalpe, the ferry, uh, across to Tangiers, and... Um, for 100 pesetas, my dad used to give the, the, the guys working in Tangiers 100 pesetas to get him like a, a speedy boarding. <laughs> they used to take the passports and um, we were hoping they would bring them back because it was like a case of hand your passport over, 100 pesetas will get you on their speedy. And it always worked. They were very, very good in those days. And that's it. And that was our final trip. Monscalpe here to Jib. And we were here, so like five days later. <laughs> it must have been a bit frustrating, though, having travelled for such a long time and you're within touching distance, but you I just know. can't cross the border. I know, you see the frontier there, the lights, you can see Moorish Castle, where my grandparents, they lived there in, in Moorish Castle, and it's just like so near, but it's still knowing we still had to do the trip, the ferry trip, 
and everything across, so, yeah. For parents with children growing up behind the closed frontier, life at the time posed certain problems. There was a limit to what you could do for day trips. Picnics in the Upper Rock and drives around the rock were popular pastimes for a young family, as well as long lazy days on the beach in summertime. It was on a picnic overlooking the airport runway that Eileen Gordon's daughter asked her a very pertinent question. We had been to Spain already because at first you were worried about going to Spain because there was a lot of anti-Gibraltarian feeling and they would, you know, abuse us over on on, uh, television and on the radio and threaten us and some people... But, well, we didn't want to go. So, But after years and some people had been, and it wasn't too bad, so we decided to go. And we had been to Spain for some little holiday. And we were having a picnic up by Princess Caroline's Battery, and we were overlooking, and my little daughter, about six, said, what's that over there? I said, no, that is Spain. I said, oh, Spain? I said, yes, and what's the road? No, this is a road leading to Spain. And she said, Mama, we're so stupid. Why do we have to take two boats to go to Spain where we couldn't just cross the road? Because to get to Spain, you have to take the Monscalpe, which would take you to to Tangier and then take another boat to take you to Algeciras. So she couldn't comprehend in her little mind why we should all do that when there was this road that and it was really ridiculous. When children's birthdays came around, the limited supplies in Gibraltar's shops could lead to duplication, which needed a bit of delicate handling, as Paula Galliano explains. Little things were funny in that if you went shopping and you had a birthday party, you'd go to the one and only card shop And there would be one card that said, Happy Birthday, 10-year-old. So you'd buy it. And then when your child opened its cards on its birthday, there'd be three or four the same, or three or four books the same. And you'd have to tell them before the parcels were opened, um, don't be disappointed if you get several things that are the same. It's because of the shops. Uh, you know, little things like shopping was difficult and we didn't have a Morrison's. Um, uh, yes, we were short of things, but, but we managed. Being confined to Gibraltar meant that many children spent most, if not their entire childhoods, without experiencing many things we take for granted today, as Sylvia Ballantyne remembers. What they missed out was they didn't see any animals, live animals, just dogs and cats and, and the apes. But um, they had seen a no cow, a goat, a sheep, and things like that. Unless they went to UK, when they went with the schools, obviously the schools used to organise uh, a trip occasionally, and uh, we were able to send them. So, but that's when they used to see an animal, but not here. All the time they grew up, they didn't see any. Dr Joseph Garcia was one of those children who spent almost his entire childhood behind the closed frontier. He explains there was a whole generation of children who'd grown up in this way and didn't know any different. But I think the immediate effect for everyone was that suddenly you could not go to Spain, you could travel by air to the United Kingdom or by air or sea to Tangier, to Morocco, And that was it. You were cut off from Spain completely. And there was at that time a generation of Gibraltarians, myself included, who didn't set foot in Spain until the border reopened in 1985. So I must have been 16 or 17 or whatever at that at that time. And I'd never I hadn't set foot in Spain before through 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 the border. I mean, you had the option of going to Tangier, like I said, and then crossing to Algeciras and doing that particular peculiar route if you wanted to visit Spain. Some people did it to meet the relatives or for whatever other other purposes, but really it meant being locked up 
in two and a quarter square miles for 16 years. My thanks to everyone who contributed to this episode. A full list of all of those who took part can be found in the show notes for this episode at gibraltarstories.com. My thanks also to the Gibraltar National Archivist, Anthony Pitaluga, for all of his help while I was researching this project over several months and for granting me permission to use the image of the closed frontier to illustrate this series. Thanks also to Philip Valverde, whose performance of Going South features in the series, and to GBC for allowing me to use an excerpt from Radio Gibraltar's Palabras al Viento with Manolo Mascareñas. Next week on The Frontier Closure 50 Years On, I'll be looking at the impact the border closure had on daily life. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share it with your friends and don't forget you can subscribe to Gibraltar Stories for free on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. You can also follow Gibraltar Stories on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Until next week, goodbye for now and thanks very much for listening. Gibraltar My Gibraltar Keep your face clean from the north side of the border My Gibraltar My Gibraltar Keep your nose clean from the north side of the border